This episode of this Focused Practical Dreamer's Journey is brought to you by Energy Healer Jean Borders' Personal Powerful Transformation Program. Know you're leaving money on the table, but can't figure out how to bring it in? Need to double your productivity and profitability? Need an extra push to get things moving in the right direction? Visit www.focusedpracticaldreamer.com slash transformation now and apply for a business consultation with Jean. Welcome to the Focused Practical Dreamer's Journey, where we take out your emotional baggage and heal your emotional body so you get to enjoy the success you desire and deserve. Prepare to feel a sense of relief and empowerment as we get rid of the baggage you've been carrying that's held up your business success up until now. Be sure to visit our website at www.focusedpracticaldreamer.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, lean in, get comfortable, and prepare to take off. Hello, everyone. This is Jean Border. I'm your host for the Focus Practical Dreamer's Journey podcast. And I have a special guest with me here today. This is Jackie Simmons. Um, we met at a networking group, actually. Um, a very interesting story. I become friends with someone and they introduce me to their friends and we end up friends, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Jackie is a, a positivity coach. She imagines a world where optimism, hope, and prosperity is the norm for the planet. So talk to me. Welcome, Jackie. Talk Thank to me you. a little bit about what you do and how you got here. What I do is help people go from living a life in what I define as poop in an arena of chronic negative thinking, usually based on the perspectives of other people, P-O-O-P. That's the poop. When we are living our life focused on the perspectives of other people, we're worried about being judged. We're anxious about doing it right. This was my life growing up. This was my life as a young adult. And it showed up as undiagnosed low-level anxiety and diagnosed clinical depression. And I'll tell you, it's not easy to raise kids from that state of mind. So now what I do is take people from that state of mind where they're focused on the perspectives of other people into where they live the promise of optimism and hope. Optimism is the cure for most of the ills of the world. And from there, you have the energy to take action. And I know action is one of the things that is near and dear to your heart. Exactly, exactly. So many people do live exactly the way you were saying. They focus on the negative, on what they don't want, and they get more of it, you know, because that's what they see. That's what they look for. That's what they're <laughs> tuned into. So that's where they find the proof. See, the world is bad. See, my business is bad. Why should I even bother with this, right? It's actually how the brain is designed to work. And so, you know, my background, I'm also the part of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society. And as we were studying really what's going on in the human brain, coupled with my journey out of, and actually finally curing myself from clinical depression, the power of this was in the fact that we started to understand you have a thought and it's uncomfortable. And so what do you do? You try not to think about it. In that moment, what you're doing is thinking about not thinking about it. And you're actually doubling down on it. At the Teen Suicide Prevention Society in that work, what we realized is that once the brain starts noticing, because your other than conscious mind is designed to notice what you think about. And that's what it decides is important to you because you're thinking about it. Even if you're trying not to think about it, you're still thinking about it. So your subconscious mind goes to work. Your subconscious mind is elegantly designed to bring about what you think about. It's the law of attraction in action. And so subconscious mind starts making plans and looking for opportunities to bring that about. 
And when we realize that kids don't have a pause button, so subconscious mind crosses opportunity, subconscious plan crosses opportunity, and they're gone with no conscious thought. They wake up going, I don't know what happened. And it's true. When I started applying that to entrepreneurs, to my business with coaches and healers and to my clients, what I realized is that there's a point where you can really easily interrupt that pattern of negative thinking. And it starts with bringing in some humor. That's why bringing in the poo, the promise of optimism and hope or the power of optimism and hope, it makes everyone smile. Yeah. Just like me, I'm smiling right now. (laughs) Yeah. Whether you think of Pooh Bear, because who doesn't love Winnie the Pooh, you know? That's where my head went was Pooh Bear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a bear of very little brains. And yet he thought when he decided to think, he thought in the most thoughtful way that he could think. He set himself down in his thinking place. And he thought, he pondered what he wanted. He didn't spend any time on what he didn't want or what was wrong. He only focused on what he wanted. He always asked the question, isn't it possible? Christopher Robin, isn't it possible? Is it possible to take a one hero party and turn it into a two hero party? He was always looking for how to make it better. And if we focus there, our lives get better. Sounds like you're talking about mindset. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really a mindset is where it's at. We used to call it having an attitude. Ah, oh, I like that better, actually. It was. It's an attitude. We all have one. The question is, are you willing to be in control of yours? You know, I believe, and I know you start the same place with awareness. If you're aware that something is not the way you want it, then what's your attitude about it? And when we talk about focus, which is also your favorite thing. Yes, (laughs) it is. Here's my attitude check. When I teach focus, that S stands for selling yourself. Have you sold yourself on the idea that what you want to work on is the most important thing for you to work on? Because when you sell yourself on the next right action, when you sell yourself on sequestering, giving yourself time, telling everyone else to leave you alone, when you sell yourself on that, it's easy to inform other people and let them know, hey, I'm working on this. Leave me alone. Because otherwise, people will want you to not work on your stuff. They want you to work on their stuff. Funny thing about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've heard someone else put it in in terms of, have you actually said yes yet? You say you decided it. You say you want it. But have you actually said yes to it, to creating it, to spending the time, to spending the focus on it, that it will take to sell yourself on it? Right. Because once you've said yes, then you've decided. But until then, it's just a thought. And thoughts have changed all the time. Getting that there was a book getting to yes. And I have to say that when they talk about it, they usually talk about it and getting other people to say yes. I like the way you phrased it. When we can get ourselves to say yes to our own desires, separate from what anyone else thinks is the right thing for us to pursue. I'm the youngest of four girls. All three of my older sisters are Virgos and I'm a Gemini. I thought that explained the world. Basically between my sisters and my school teacher, mama, my army sergeant, daddy, and his preacher of a daddy, my grandpa was a preacher. I was born with people telling me what to think, what to do and what to believe. Coming into being who I am, making those choices for myself, what do I think? Because what I think about is what I believe. The more I steadily think about something, that's how belief systems are created. So what do I think? What do I believe? What am I going to do? Those things are now what I talk about the most. Taking back control of my life is really what cured me of clinical depression. When I started saying, wait, that's not my thought. That's what someone else wants for me. 
Mm. Very uncomfortable process for me. So I look for ways to make it fun and easy for people to do now. Cool. Yeah. The beliefs we have, we create them so early in life when we don't even understand how the world works, right? But we want to please our parents. We want to please our siblings. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. We want to be popular. We want this. We want that. And we come up with ways that we think will make that happen, even if they don't make us happy. And we don't understand that. And eventually, you're trying to please so many people, which, of course, you can't, right? Mm -hmm. That you're just lost. And that's how it sounds like you were. You were just lost in other people's expectations. I I was, I call it now riding the elephant, the elephant's name. The elephant is your subconscious mind, by the way, in psychology, they call the subconscious, the elephant and the conscious mind, the ant, the little dot that we think is in control. I call it riding an elephant named Joe, J-O-E, other people's judgments, opinions, and expectations. And my life was lived that way. I was a chameleon. Whoever I was with, I could tell you the, actually, I could walk into a room of strangers and tell you the emotional state of everyone in that room, except me. Because I was so outwardly focused, I had missed that journey. I had, in my adulthood, did I finally come into the journey to get to know me? And when you have an attitude that says, if you leave me, I will die. I call that the cry of the child. We're born knowing that if our parents don't meet our needs, we're going to die. It's a gut, you know, it's a visceral reaction. If we are given opportunities to experience ourselves as separate, we outgrow it and our belief systems evolve. If, on the other hand, we're not given those opportunities to see ourselves as separate, to develop a sense of autonomy, we can stay stuck in one of the two maladaptions. One is, if you leave me, I will die. That hangs around. We're pretty much sure there's something wrong with us, is where I went. At the extreme, we or I, I'll own it, at the extreme, I discounted everything that I thought, everything that I felt and focused on other people and what they thought and what they felt. To the extreme, at one point, I couldn't tell you what my favorite flavor of ice cream was. I mean, it can go that far. And for me, that showed up, like I said, clinical depression. But there's another side to that coin. There always is. I was sure there was something wrong with me. Because otherwise, my world would have worked better. People around me would have treated me better. And like you said, what we think about, we bring about. So I had collected a lot of evidence. On the other side of the coin is someone who goes higher on the self-absorption scale. And instead of having the fear that or the knowing that there's something wrong with me, must be something wrong with me for this to happen. They go the other way and they're afraid there might be something wrong with them. On the extreme, they exhibit behaviors that are now considered narcissistic. And their belief is, if I'm wrong, I'll die. Both are survival beliefs. And if someone is really high on that self-absorption scale where they believe if there might be something wrong with them and if there is, they're going to die, it shows up as they have to be the smartest person in the room All the ideas have to come from them. And the advice on the internet that says set boundaries with someone like that is guaranteed to get you shredded. The advice on the internet about setting boundaries is guaranteed to make them attack you. So better would be to notice that they have those behaviors, learn some assertiveness language. Assertiveness training doesn't go hard stop. Assertiveness training says things like, you might be right. And then you can change the topic because there's nothing for them to argue with. And if you're in business with someone and that is your partner, I'd be looking for how can they buy me out? How do I make them right? The strongest person. I think that your ideas are better than mine. I want you to buy me out because there's no way to win. And there never will be. Yeah, that's, 
a lot of having good relationships in business is understanding personality types and what will trigger them and what will allow them to to react from a calm place instead. I have a friend who that's what she does. She's called the lion tamer. She she coaches the bad boys, the CEOs that are too valuable to let go and too dangerous to keep. They're yeah. sort of a lawsuit waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And she not only works with them, if they're motivated, she can help them evolve. She thinks narcissists who evolve become great leaders. She also teaches the rest of us how to have conversations that don't get us shredded. But it's not the comfortable skill set if you're listening to what's online, which is you have to stand up for yourself and you have to set boundaries. Mm -mm. What if you set a boundary that says, I don't need to be in a relationship with someone. I don't need to fix anyone. Ooh, that was hard for me. I don't need to fix anyone. That's hard well, for a lot why of people. I, yeah. Why am I here? If I'm not fixing somebody, I don't know what to do with myself. And then I realized it was because the one person I wasn't paying attention to was the only one I actually had control over, which was myself. So when people say I'm selfish, I go, you're right. I am very self-centered because I realized if I wasn't in the center of my own life, I was going to get to the end of my life never having lived my life. And if we only get one shot at life, I mean, all the belief systems aside, let's just go with, I'm right here right now. This is my shot at this life. I don't care if I get to come back as another chance. This is it right now. I can learn to be present. So everything I teach now is a presence practice designed to pull us back into the present moment because this is where life is lived. This is the only place we can make decisions. It's the only place we can take an action. And most of us spend our life living in the past, usually unhappily, or living in the future, also often unhappily, when in the present, both of those are irrelevant. Yeah, we so much of our life is lived in our imagination, inside our head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I tell my clients all the time when it when it's appropriate, what you believe to be true is absolutely true for you. Yep. It may not be true for me and it may not be true for the person sitting next to you, but for you, it's absolutely true. And if that's uncomfortable for you, what you need to do is decide, is that truth a fact or is it just a belief or a thought? If it's a thought, thoughts can be changed. Beliefs can be changed. Absolutely. Both of those are very true. I had an author I like who said, is it a fact or is it an opinion? If it's a fact, it can be expressed in numbers. If it cannot be expressed in numbers, it's an opinion. And so look at where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. The voice in your head. Whose voice is it? And is it one you want to hear repeated over and over and over? Mm. If you get to decide what is true for you, is that the truth you want repeated inside your head over and over? Is that what's guiding your life? Making that decision is the hallmark of freedom. When you decide what things mean, going back to what you said earlier, we make decisions, we assign meanings to the events of our life At a time we don't even remember, before we've got a fully developed brain, before we've got a prefrontal cortex. I mean, that is an aftermarket part. We're not born with it. It gets built out by usually the age of 12, and then it gets fully programmed, functional, if we're lucky, by the age of 24. And yet we've made all the decisions about who we are, how the world works, and who we can be in the world. By the age of seven. Yep. So redoing, rewriting those descriptions is the work of an adult. Rewriting those meanings, reassigning who am I? How does the world work? And who can I be in the world? Starts with who do I want to be in the world? And I wish they taught that class 
in kindergarten, not who do I want to be as a job, but who do I want to be in the world? Because we help kids define themselves by a career path really early on. And yet we don't help them understand the impact they can have in the world, which has nothing to do with the job. It actually has nothing to do with money. And yet it does. Mother Teresa lived a life of a vow of poverty. And yet that woman managed massive millions of money. She had a relationship with money and people that was so clear that this is, I don't know if you've heard the story about her. She gave a talk to a room of millionaires and multimillionaires about her mission, about the life that, that she saw that was possible for the poorest of the poor. And at the end of her talk, the host came up to her and he was all proud and he handed her a check from the room. And the check was for $10,000. And Mother Teresa looked at the check. She looked at the room and she said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And she tore the check in half and walked out. In a room of multimillionaires, $10,000 was like not even a penny. And she just called him out. And she could do that because she knew her why. She knew that there were millions of people that this group of people could have helped. And they chose not to. They chose to play small. We often choose to play small, Jane. What would our lives be like if we chose to play full out? If we chose to allow money, like for Mother Teresa, money to be a tool? Because money is not the only important thing in the world. It's not even the most important thing in the world. However, it does touch everything that's important in our lives. What if we allowed money to be currency, to literally flow like electricity through our lives? That's the power of coming into a place where you see yourself worth your worth as separate from your bank account. Because we were born worthy. Everything else is just habits we picked up, habits of thought most of the time that lead to habits of actions. What can we say? Yeah. So this is a podcast that is geared towards entrepreneurs. So talk to me a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get from nothing to where you are now? (laughs) Yeah, nothing. (laughs) Well, we all start from nothing, right? We all start from nothing. And I started as a high school graduate and mother of three. Divorced. And as I was working. I got to the end of the month and I could pay rent or I could pay daycare. I couldn't pay both. And I got lucky. I had a friend who said, Jackie, why don't you become a daycare provider? This was, they did, we didn't call it entrepreneurship back then. Why don't you become a daycare provider? So I fast tracked through the certification process where I lived and I knew nothing. I knew less than nothing about business. I only knew I had three kids to support. They were five, three, and one at the time. Wow. So every morning I walked my five-year-old with my other daughters to, I have three daughters. So walked to the bus stop and I told everybody, I've got my daycare license. I can, I have openings for this. I have openings for that. Who do you know that needs help? If you would just let them know that I exist. I didn't know that was called networking. I didn't know that was actually called relationship marketing and referrals. I knew nothing about what I was doing, except I knew my motivation. And I walked into my first meeting of a family daycare association. Absolutely wallflower. Back of the room, sitting, not talking, standing, listening, I overheard someone say she was getting phone calls for people looking for infant care and she didn't have an opening for an infant. And I went, I do, (laughs) I do. 
And I said, what, this is organization has been in existence for a long time. Why don't, you know, is there a, a like a clearinghouse or somebody you, and they said, well, we've been talking about it. And, you know, we, and I said, great, you know, how long do you expect it to take before you get it set up? And they said, well, we've been talking about it for the last three years. <laughs> Blurt. Yeah. What? You've been yeah. talking, but you haven't said yes yet. <laughs> so I got the job. You know, cool. It's a funny thing about when I blurt, I get volunteered. You know, index cards were my friend because I kept track of daycare providers and openings on index cards. And I realized something pretty quickly. She who gets the phone calls fills her openings first. And that was my entree into entrepreneurship. When I got to the point where I knew the names of all seven dwarfs and had no clue who was in office, I decided maybe it was time for me to branch out a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So I started hanging out with some adults and my business started changing. My kids were getting older and I was looking for something to heal me from my depression because it was not easy to run a daycare and always be there for kids and deal with that dark place in myself. That led me to study Eastern healing arts because Western medicine could get me stable, you know, counseling therapy and medication could get me stable, but it couldn't cure me. And I wasn't interested in spending my life in counseling therapy and on medication. It really was not the way I wanted to live. So I studied Eastern healing arts and I found you know, mindfulness, movement and meditation, really good stuff and no cure because they don't talk in terms of permanent cure either. And that led me to what you were talking about earlier, studying the mind, what we think. I actually became a mediator. I studied transformative mediation and I can do court ordered mediation, but I don't. Because the conversation I'm most interested in mediating is the one that's happening behind your eyes and between your ears. This is where the game is played. And I was stable, Jean, like a three-legged elephant, as long as I was holding still. The minute I added something new, a new relationship, a new part of my business, it was a herky-jerky ride. Because body, mind, and spirit are not the story. I became a member of the Society of Emotional Intelligence. Body, mind, spirit, and emotions. Those are the four components of ourselves when we're born and they're all integrated and then life happens and we split apart. And I had spent the majority of my life trying to reconnect those four pieces. Figuring that out became my life's work. Figuring that out is how I cured myself of depression. I've been medication-free. I've been depression-free. And this has been since 2003, so 20 years. Congratulations. And this is what I want in the world. I want everyone who works with anyone to know how to help them and themselves live a life of predictable happiness of recognizing that our society says other people make us feel something. You know, that that old country song, you make me feel like a natural woman. Oh, no, he didn't. She felt like a little something, so she gave him credit. You know, we understand these things as adults, but the culture keeps pushing on us to give responsibility for our emotions away and for us to take responsibility for what we have no control over, which is other people's emotions. What would your life be like if you were surrounded by people who actually took responsibility for their own emotions? That's the world I am looking to help bring into. That's the mindset I want people to have. My emotions are just that, mine. And I no longer give people an emotional remote control. Other people can try to push my buttons, especially my family, because they're used to me reacting a certain way. It just doesn't work quite the same way anymore. And the first response from the people around you, I'm going to give you the disclaimer. You start to take control over your own emotions. You stop reacting. 
the way that you've always reacted to the people around you, and they're going to send you a message. And that message is change back. Change back. Even if the reaction they got used to was you being really angry and mean and yucky, they are still going to be more comfortable with what they're used to than with something new. Human nature. So be patient. Be kind. Let them have their reaction. If you really are struggling in some relationships as you start to grow, there's a great little book. It's called The Bully Vaccine. And the reason I recommend it, it's written to be read with kids. I recommend it because it has the explanation of how behaviors work when one person changes and the other person is like, change back. I want you to, I want you to be the way you were. And they can escalate their behavior to ease that discomfort that they feel with the relationship changing. If you're prepared for it, then it can just work its way out and vanish. But if you're not prepared for it, you can snap and go back to reacting the way that you used to, but it's at a higher scale. It's called escalation. And this is why when a someone, usually a woman, leaves an abusive relationship, by the time they leave, it's escalated so many times that they are in danger for their lives because of not understanding this basic premise of how the brain really works, this change back message. Sort of like crabs in a bucket. One crab jumps out and scurries away. Two crabs, whichever one tries to climb out, the other one will pull them back down to keep them safe. And we do that as humans too. So once you understand that the people around you are just being crabbish, they're (laughs) just trying to keep you safe because you're changing, you're doing something that's outside of their realm of experience. Once you can just remember that, then you can be patient, kind, and predictable in your response. You might be right is the sanest answer. And so many times what, I see is as soon as that interaction starts to happen, the person feels so much guilt. Look what my change is doing to the dynamics of the family, right? And then they have to sort through all that. And well, it's probably better that I don't act that way around my family. I'll just be that way everywhere else. And then you've got that split personality thing going. So you play, you're playing to your audience, if you will, right? Which is a good thing in some situations, But it's uncomfortable when you can't be yourself with your family because you don't know how to deal with the discord that it that it creates. When you feel responsible for someone else's emotions. You're being held hostage. And we get tired of that after a while. And all of a sudden, what we thought was something that was loving and kind, we start to resent. And in that moment, relationships can totally deteriorate. It's easier, believe it or not, to experience the discomfort for 10 seconds or 10 minutes to be who you have evolved into and to just be that even without reacting to what they want you to be to change back with leaving that change message just on the ground where they dropped it. That's easier to be uncomfortable for 10 minutes. Because otherwise, you're in a relationship dynamic where you could be uncomfortable for 10 months or 10 years or the rest of your life. That realization motivated me because I knew I was going to live a long time. I wasn't willing to sacrifice my emotional state. I wasn't willing to have a split personality anymore, to behave this way with these people and behave this way with these people. We call that being on the fence, where your behaviors are dictated by the people you're around as opposed to being internally guided. You know, I'm with you, I'm going to behave like you. Well, we can pick up some really uncomfortable habits if we've been manipulated the way that we've just been talking about. It's not a bad thing. They're just trying to get their needs met. Well, those are their needs. They can learn how to get those needs met without requiring self-sacrifice of yours. It's really true. Other people can evolve. It's a secret, Gene. 
Other people can evolve. We've got to give them space to do it. I, I'm sitting here laughing. I Everything that you're saying about the family dynamics, I'm relating to the business world. And in the business world, we call it change management. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a, it, yeah, that's what it is. It's change management. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of situations, it's, there's a leadership change. And so the philosophy has to filter down through the ranks, right? In other situations, it's you as a leader walk into a new situation with a team that's already built that you see as dysfunctional, quite honestly, or not as productive as it could be with established norms, established procedures. And if I heard the words, well, that's the way we've always done it. Once I heard it a million times, right? Every time I'd walk into a new situation, well, that's the way we've always done it. I get that. I do. Mm-hmm. However, I'm a different person and I have different expectations. So maybe we'll see how we can incorporate some of those old ways into maybe a new way of working. So again, understanding how certain approaches can trigger certain personalities is key in those situations if you want to create the team that is high performing and functional and not backbiting all the time and tattling and all the things that that we experience in middle school yeah that too (laughs) i wasn't gonna say that but since you did um but no and it's hard and it takes a while but consistency is key Personal or business, consistency is key. Understanding where you want this relationship, this business to go and keeping your eye on that and making small course corrections along the way until you get to that target where where your focus is. Taking strategic action, either with your family or with your business, right? You hit on something really key. I'm glad you called it a key. The consistency of being me is one piece. The consistency of everyone having the same goal. And knowing what it is. Yeah, well, yeah, really. (laughs) Um, Because that's usually the biggest challenge. I finally started using really simple analogies like a ball player coming into a ballpark for the first time. You know, he's come up, he's coming into an established organization. The goal is, of course, to win the pennant. Yeah, the goal is to get to and win the the World Series. Everybody knows what the goal is, the big goal. The smaller goals get more challenging and personalities play out. And management, in my analogy, is the club owner sitting down a new ball player and giving him the rules of the ballpark. And when the ball player goes, um, you know, I don't like some of these rules. And the club owner says, son, you've got three options. Option one, you can accept the rules of the ballpark without conflict. Play ball, make money, have fun. Option two, you can argue with the rules and create conflict. You'll still play ball. You just won't make as much money because you'll pay fines. And I guarantee you will not have as much fun. Option three, you can get out of my ballpark. (laughs) At that moment, the ball player knows his personal why. He's dreamed his whole life of three things. Play ball, make money, have fun. Mm Mm-hmm. So the kid can decide in that moment, he likes those rules just fine. Yes, sir. And go on and have a great career. What I'm seeing happening in business is that club owners are not clearly communicating the rules of the ballpark. They're not clearly communicating their expectations. They're no longer clearly communicating the options someone has. And the biggest tragedy of our age is what we call a disengaged workforce. It's what happens when a ball player takes option three, an employee takes option three and leaves the ballpark, but doesn't take their body with them. And their body keeps showing up and collecting a paycheck. And it's because club owners are afraid. 
that they won't be able to replace the ball player. So they'll take a disengaged one over no one. And then they wonder why they're not winning. It yeah, only the, takes- whole, the whole quitting in place or retiring in place concept. I'm like, oh you my know, gosh, there's you have no of- clue what's going on in your organization. And some of so many bosses do that to themselves. Mm-hmm. They're so disengaged. They, they, they think, oh yeah, I'll just say this and they'll do that. Well, no, they won't. <laughs> if you don't understand how to create a team that depends on each other, you have no team. If you don't understand their reason for being there, you know, when a ball player is young, play ball, make money, have fun. They get older. They've got different wives. Yes. You know, they've got different wives. And if we don't stay engaged in those conversations, then helping them stay engaged with the vision of our organization or our community or our family. You know, what would happen with every aspect of your life if you surrounded yourself by people who were engaged in this conversation of what are we changing in the world? What is the change we want to see in the world? What is the change we want people to experience so that our business can continue to meet their evolving needs. Because just like the ball players' needs evolve, our customers' needs evolve. And the biggest problem with entrepreneurism is that we are not taught how to evolve our offerings. It doesn't mean necessarily you go for higher and higher ticket offerings. That is an old paradigm that I think is ready to shift. I think it's more about offering from where we have evolved to and allowing other people to be inspired by us. I think my job as a human, my job as a speaker for sure, is to speak in ways and tell stories in ways that inspire me so that other people can choose to be inspired by me or with me. Not my job to inspire anyone except myself. And when they say, if it's to be, it's up to me. Yes. And what that means is your mindset, your attitude. Create your reality. Yeah. What reality do you want? Do you want to be stuck in that negative? Oh, everybody's out to get me. What's the point of this? And I'm always going to be sick. And, you know, I'm never going to have money. I'm like... That's your choice. If you sit on the couch and don't do anything, you're never going to make money. You're you're probably right there. <laughs> you know, and the reality is the sitting on the couch is the symptom, not the cause. Yeah. And most people are focused on getting people to change a behavior, not realizing the behavior is just a symptom. The cause is the emotion because emotions drive action. Nothing else does. The cause of the emotion is the thought. And the cause of the thought is the belief system. So when somebody peels it back, you know, when they are going at the end of the day, well, I don't feel very productive. And they peel back their actions and go, what was I feeling? Because if you're sitting in front of your computer thinking, I need to write emails. Nobody's going to read this anyway. If you're sitting there thinking that, you're not going to have the energy to write an email to create an effective subject line. You're not even going to remember that there's all these tools out there that you could use to do it for you and with you. You you won't because that's all screened out by the BS, by the belief system. When you can peel it back to the pattern, oh, I'm thinking that I'm not ready, that I'm not good enough yet, that I need more skills. Then you can do the flip and the flip is super simple. When you can identify that belief system, just flip it to some form of its opposite. I am ready. And then answer one question. How do I know? I know I'm ready because I can find evidence in my life that supports that I'm ready. And the more precise that evidence is, the more your other than conscious mind will actually be able to use it. I call this turning the elephant. The elephant loves specificity. Your subconscious mind loves you being specific. So 
I'm ready. I know this is true because these many people read my last blog. This many people have taken workshops from me. This many people have given me feedback. This many people invite me to speak on their podcast. This and, and the more you can be specific, the faster the belief system can be rewritten. You're actually building out a new neural pathway. And here's the secret to get there. Notice the awareness piece. Notice when your energy drops. Notice when you're not being productive. Notice when maybe you're beating yourself up. Just notice it and don't judge it. Notice it and acknowledge it. Oh, I used to believe. By the way, that phrase puts it in the past where it belongs. Language I is used so to important. Mm-hmm. Notice it and acknowledge it. I used to believe. And then these are the magic words. Now I've decided. Three magic words. And what happens is you're taking all of the electrical activity in the old neural network and redirecting it into a new pathway. And the new pathway is, I'm ready. And I know this is true because. And all of that evidence that you wrote down, all of the thing that your subconscious mind can't argue with is your own direct experience. So I know I'm ready because Jean asked me to be on her podcast. I know I'm ready because whatever it is, just write it down and read it out loud to yourself. You'll build out this whole new belief system. You'll have a new thought. You'll have a new emotion. You'll have a new action. Guess what? You're going to get a different result. Yeah, language is so important. I can't stress enough. I'm always sick or Um, I'm always up by myself. As soon as you say always, yeah. As soon as you say always, well, you leave no opportunity for a new possibility, right? Mm -hmm. So in the past, you know, it seemed like I was always alone. Maybe that was, it seems like, right? It was a belief. I used to be alone most of the time, just softening it a little bit, going from always to most and putting it in the past. I used to feel mostly alone. I used sometimes I still do, you know, say what is true. Just now possibilities. That's all. Now I've decided what have you decided is possible. That's really the promise of optimism and hope is the new possibilities that it opens up. What's possible when you have the energy of enthusiasm? What's possible when you can inspire yourself and stop looking for love and money and you know ideas in all the wrong places. <laughs> I spent multiple five figures each year, sometimes six figures, looking for the right person to guide me instead of looking inside me for my wise, intuitive, higher self, for my internal emotional guidance system. I didn't know I had one. I think it's standard equipment. We're all born with one. Learning how to use it is where prosperity comes from. Wealth in all of its forms. It's where cash begins to flow in a positive manner is when you start being more and more internally guided and less and less influenced by other people. I decided I wanted to be in the driver's seat of my own life. Win, lose, draw, did not matter. It was going to be my life. And I'm a unique point in the mind of God. I think everyone is. And if we each lived into our innate gifts, if we each live into our abilities, not the skills that the world values, but what is the difference you make when you show up? Start looking there. Where do you feel enthusiastic? Where do you feel inspired? Checking in with the answers to those questions will do more for your cash flow than all of the business strategies, funnels, ad campaigns, even the structure of a webinar. None of those are as important as you feeling inspired and enthusiastic and confident 
Those three emotions are the greatest attraction factor in the world. Building those is where I recommend everyone spend just a little more time. Get to know you. Get to know, like, and trust you. Because when you do, other people will too. It's so important to let people hear your voice. Right now, the big rage is, you know, everybody's doing AI. Well, you know, some sites now are forcing you to use like a, um, let's make sure this is really a human talking checker, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just regurgitating somebody else's voice. And if all you're doing is using AI, who are you going to attract? You know, people come to you because they're attracted to you. And if you're not giving your voice out there, what are they going to be attracted to? Research is research and AI is a great research. Oh, I love it's so fast. If you want an outline, um, talking points, oh, oh, it's so fast. But you don't allow it to create all your content because that is your content. That is what's coming from your heart, your soul, your experience, your knowledge, your skills, your abilities. Don't leave all that behind you. That's That's what got you to where you are. Don't lose sight of who you are. I think you've hit upon something really, really critical, Jean. The point of AI is to help you get organized, to save you time. The reality reality of it is when you get on a podcast, you're not going to have AI (laughs) to give you the answers. When you get on a stage, it is the difference between thinking about a topic and knowing it. The difference between those two, the difference between being solid and certain in what you know and giving that power away. Yes. And that's exactly the point we are of inflection. I think people are giving their power of their voice to AI and to, I gave it to other people. And I crossed my own boundaries. I knew some things about my audience. I knew that when I did an event, if I put someone else on my stage, my audience was unhappy because they came to hear me. I didn't think I was all that. So when I had guidance that said, you put some other people on there so that it's not just you talking, I was like, must be a good idea. You know, I'm paying these people a lot of money. Why would I pay them and not follow their advice? Well, the answer is because I knew better. It went south. And this happened in January of this year. This is the last time that I will ever, ever cross my own boundaries. God willing. All right. So so this is this is like my Scarlett O'Hara moment. You know, as God is my witness, I will never discount my internal guidance system. Am I going to be perfect at it? Uh, No, God will witness. Yeah, so will you. So will the rest of the world. Because I'm very transparent now. I am far from perfect. What I am is proof that you don't have to be perfect to be prosperous. That's, I think, my real role in the world is to help people see perfection need not apply. Purpose matters. Knowing your purpose, knowing your why, that matters. But more importantly, being true to yourself, being true to your own personality, being true to your quirkiness, and letting people see that being quirky is okay. Because isn't that why people hire us if we are in any kind of consulting or coaching or guiding field? They want to know at a visceral level that they are okay just as they are. And from that place, they can change. Getting them to there is how, the how of getting them to there is you being there. So then they can join you. Some of the, I I don't know why, but it's coming. It won't leave my head. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. One of the things you mentioned was, Getting on a stage, you're not going to have AI to help you. Um, and your your expertise, your yourself, your knowledge is going to come through there. 
one of the huge mistakes I'm I see even really high dollar speakers make is they get up on stage and they're reading their speech. Just hand me your speech and I can read it myself much faster than you're going to say it on the stage because you're going to try to be have the perfect inflection and the perfect diction and your personality is just gone. Yes, you're going to get louder in some points and you're going to get softer in other points. But that's your reading. People pay thousands of dollars to vocal coaches to be able to act, right? To be able to say things well. (laughs) But they don't teach you your personality. If your personality comes through on stage, I don't want to work with you. I don't need you to read to me. I learned to read back when I was very small. I read very fast. That's one of my downfalls. I read every day and I read so fast. Um, oh, that, if that's a I, downfall, I'm right there on the bottom with you. Oh, so all the books that I own, you would have no idea. <laughs> it's crazy. But anyway, I don't need people to read to me. I don't enjoy it. I, I feel right. like I'm wasting my time. I feel like I should just go up and, you know, leave the room and go to the, make a, a bio break or something. You know, I want to see your personality or I don't know that I want to spend any money working with you or spend my time, which is even more precious to decide if I want to work with you. That's why you're on the stage is for me to get a sense of you, what you know, what you think, how you teach. If I'm even a good fit for your program, right? If you're reading, I get none of that. The greatest gift that the TED and TEDx organization gave the world is they got rid of the podium. They got rid of what was between the speaker and the audience. Granted, everything was supposed to be memorized. And on TED, it must be. That's a different situation, though. It's a different situation. The reality is that what came out of my mouth on my TEDx stage, what came out of my mouth on the Action Talk stage that'll be released later this year, that talk, is not what I wrote down. It's not what I rehearsed. Those things informed what came out of my mouth. What comes out of your mouth is what comes out of your mouth when you trust yourself. Oh, and by the way, there's a knack for reading and being engaging. And I'm just going to share. You want to be able to read your content. You want to be able to read a slide or read something and stay engaging. Practice in a room full of (laughs) three-year-olds. Remember, I ran a daycare. I learned to not only read it, no matter what I was reading, I learned to read in ways that were engaging and I can read upside down because I was holding the book and Uh (laughs) so the kids could see it. So let your brain get quirky. Yo, deliver your talk backwards. By all means, deliver your talk standing up and walking around. Practicing while you're sitting down is really good if you're like me. And super high energy when I present. So practicing while I'm sitting down allows me to experience it in a quieter energy so that I'm not like blasting my personality out there. If you're a quieter energy, practice standing up. Don't ever try to deliver a talk from sitting down because you're cutting off your own life force energy. I mean, I stand up 90% of the time, especially when I'm presenting, because I know that my energy is different. And yeah, if you're going to read, learn to read to three-year-olds. Because there are times where we have to read. We have to give content that is super precise, and we still want to hold people's attention. Most people, when they read, get sing-songy. And the minute they do, I'm asleep. Even if my eyes are still open, my brain is gone. So I know I was off topic, but I trusted that I needed to say it and look at all the good content we got. Yeah. And you keep bringing up um, daycare and we talked about the belief systems and knowing your why and how a lot of that's created when you're very young. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, I took my great niece out to a park after I picked her up from school and she said, there's over there, there's a Skittles container over there. There's a, there's a Skittles wrapper over there. 
can I go get that? I said, well, finish eating first and then, then you can go get that. And she went and got it and she put it in the trash. And then we went over to the slide and she says, what is this? What is this? And she's, someone had stuffed trash inside some of the mechanisms of the slide. And she pulled out. She said, this is just terrible. This is not the way to help the planet. I'm, I'm going to help the planet. Can I go throw this away? And so her why was she helped the planet. She was helping the planet by taking rid, getting rid of all the trash that was getting in the way of people's enjoyment and could be damaging to the animals and certainly was not helping the plants. I thought that was so cool. So she knew her why, right? She knew, right, that that the planet, and and, I mean, this is an amazing awareness because you're talking a kid who's what, five years old? She's six, six years, years old, old. Yeah. first grade, the picture of yeah. her. Wow. First grade. Yeah. It, it's an amazing awareness. Mm-hmm. What would life be like if we were all just a little more aware of the impact that what we see is having on the bigger picture? Do you know the smallest package in the world? One of my mentors says this. He says, the smallest package in the world is someone all wrapped up in themselves. <laughs> funny it's true but it's funny yeah what if we all started to be a little more like your niece your great niece Mm -hmm. and we were having the perspective of is this good for the planet oh hmm that might change a few things Um, and it might not human behavior is human behavior Mm -hmm. just though changing the awareness will change the vibration How do we make this better for the planet? We've got this. And we are living in a day and an age where how things taste, how convenient they are. Those two things have started to trump common sense. They've trumped nutrition. They have trumped the uh, good for the planet in a lot of ways. What if we could start asking, how do I make something taste good, whatever that is for your business? How do I still keep it tasting good? Because if it doesn't taste good, people will not stay with it. They won't become brand loyal to something that doesn't taste good. How do I make it taste good? How do I make it better for my client and make it good for the prosperity of the planet at the same time? These are really powerful questions for entrepreneurs to start looking at because I believe the paradigm has shifted and entrepreneurs will be the savior of the planet. I think you're on to something. We're running out of time, but I'd like to give you just a few minutes. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to bring to entrepreneurs? We've touched on so many um, ways that, they could raise awareness and see where there might be little pockets of their business that might serve them in a more useful manner. Right. All right. Here's my wrap up talk. Okay. Your business is not to solve problems. Your business exists to increase the positivity and prosperity of the planet. I think this is the lesson of a six-year-old and that it will serve everyone to embrace it. What if your business was to serve and improve the positivity, prosperity of the planet? That's so cool. (laughs) I like that. And I know you did it on the fly, but that's really cool. So if people want to learn more about you, you have um, your website, Success Journey Academy. Success Journey Academy is where they find out about the certification program and the coaches who work with the Conscious Transformational Coaching Methodology. The TeenSuicidePreventionSociety.com is where they find out about the mission to end suicide, not just among teens, but on the planet. And there's a gift for everyone. Oh, tell me about that. The website is Prosperity Call, C-A-L-L, ProsperityCall.com, and they will get 39 ways to prosperity. It will come in their inbox one way a day. These are two to three minute videos. 
and explanations, little things that you can do that will improve your perspective. It'll improve your focus on prosperity. It will help keep you focused there and opportunities are there for you. That's cool. And the links will be down below if you didn't have a pen to write all that down. So it'll be down below there for you. So thank you so much, Jackie. This has been a blast. (laughs) Thank you, Jean. Yeah. So once again, thank my listeners. Um, Always cool conversations. I never know how they're going to turn out because I don't have a script. (laughs) We just... We just wing it, <laughs> obviously, if you haven't paid attention. But this is Jean Border. I'm your host of the Focus Practical Dreamer's Journey. And I look forward to communicating with you again in the future. Take care, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Focused Practical Dreamer's Journey, where we take out your emotional baggage and heal your emotional body so you get to enjoy the success you desire and deserve. Remember to visit our website at www.focusedpracticaldreamer.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Focused Practical Dreamer's Journey.